Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. First of all, thank you again. Come on, can we thank him? Thank them. Jerry and Josh both did a great job, as I knew you would. And um, let me say this, because we have people of all different ages in here. It's never too late to start the things they're saying. Because some of you maybe are discounting yourself from this conversation because you're like, I'm 55 or I'm 72 or I'm whatever age you are. No, it's never too late to get out of debt, never too late to invest, and never too late to do the things they said. So I just felt like some of you maybe needed that because some of you are discounting yourself. You're just here because you feel sympathetic to your pastor, and that's why you're here. But Seriously, everything they're saying pertains to everyone in this room, whether you're six years old or 67 years old. It's never too late to have financial freedom. It's never too late to start these things they're talking about. So everyone is included, if you want to be included. Um, And also, just a quick thing, and this is the reason we're doing this, is because, um, you know, a lot of churches, like ours, we teach about being generous, which is good. And we teach in prosperity, but like I said this morning, not a lot of churches preach about what I said this morning or tonight. Thus, their congregation stays in poverty or struggling. And the other side of that as well is a lot of people want to be big givers at churches, but they have so much debt and other issues in their life, they can't even get rid of that. So they can't be generous like they want to because their finances are a mess. So... It would be wrong for me to keep asking our church to be generous and not give them the practical side of stuff. That's why we're having this, and that's why we're going to put this morning's message on podcast. We're going to put what you guys said on podcast, so all the world is going to hear it. And uh, we're going to put the Q&A on the podcast so people can hear that in our church and other churches, because that's the other side of prosperity, like we said. It's one thing for me to say be a big giver, but you're like, hey, pastor, I got a lot of financial issues in my And I want to give. I'm not stingy. I want to give. So this is why we're talking about this stuff, so we can take care of that part. So then you can be free and be as generous as God wants you to be. Amen? Okay. We have one that just, it starts with Jerry. So it's a personal note to Jerry. I already do easy questions. Okay. It says, if you do not use credit cards, do you use a debit card for online purchases? Isn't a credit card safer? I would still say that, you know, debit card is like writing a check. Um, So, you know, no harm, no foul from my perspective on that. I just, you know, I I still keep going back to the discipline. Um, You know, the world says use credit cards. In fact, it's really tough to establish uh, a credit score, if you will, because that's so important. But why do you have to have a good credit score? Anybody know? Borrow money. <laughs> so, you know, my, my thought is, is, you know, just, and I, I think I'm answering the question is, you know, I would stay away from credit cards uh, if at all possible. Yeah. I mean, of course, some people, you know, if you haven't started, don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're already there, get out of it, get rid of them, don't use them, that sort of thing. So. Can I add on to that a little bit, just from having a little bit of banking background? Um, I get the security question, 
if that is a concern, I would definitely reach out to your financial institution. And most financial institutions do have a um, fraud liability or zero fraud liability to where if you do, say, make an online purchase with your card and some squirrely things happen, um, then they will cover it. So my solution to that, if you don't want to use a credit card, would be to more or less establish a separate account that's specifically designated for your online spending and attach a specific debit card to it. Um, because I have seen examples where that happens to folks and people get their card numbers and while the bank's in the process of getting their cash back, you know, they're strapped, for lack of a better term, for, for a little bit. Um, so that would be my, my workaround as far as to, to take care of that. Thank you. As I go and look through these, that's probably for you, but you can read the question, then go for it about investing. Okay. So for, for investing money, is permanent life insurance an advisable way to build cash value? Um, what, is a, what is a good S&P 500 to invest in, assuming they're meaning S&P 500 company? Um, life insurance, that is something I am asked a lot. For the most part, I would say that people are overinsured. So what I mean by that is life insurance has its place. But once again, when it comes to bucketing and giving everything a purpose, I will always step back and say, okay, hey, what is the purpose of this policy? Um, I think sometimes people just buy life insurance policies because they're like, hey, I've always been told I need a life insurance policy. Uh, the life, so just personal, the life insurance policies I have are designated to where like, hey, if something were to happen to me, that my family would be taken care of you know, if I was no longer here. Um, if I had amassed enough of other means to take care of that concern, then at that point, the need for the life insurance policy, to me, there's no use in paying premiums for something you don't necessarily need. Um, I know just, once again, mine personally, I actually have what's called a return of premium policy that I bought, I think when I turned 30. Um, so 30 year policy that I pay premiums into, those premiums do, I think they're annualized at like three or four percent and on my 60th birthday if I haven't used it then they cut me a check so I more so like those type of policies um, just because it's like hey it's good to have it you know but at the same point in time if you know you have other means then I would say if you don't need it cancel it but as a primary way to invest money I would say there's other alternatives um, that are more effective and give you more options uh, second question as far as you know what is a good you know, S&P 500, I'm assuming company to invest in. So that'd be case by case, um, you know, kind of am hesitant to give individual recommendations <laughs> like that, just because if it doesn't turn out, then I'm the bad guy. But I would say that there are- It's on podcast, so we can hear you. So um, I will say though, that there are investments out there that are low cost, that will actually track the S&P 500 index for you. So how they do that is, whatever the cost is, you get little bits and pieces of all the companies inside that index, so it's a more cost-effective way to diversify yourself rather than say, you know, hey, I don't have $2,300 to buy a share of Amazon, or, you know, hey, I can't buy, you know, Apple stock or Microsoft or whatever. They're cost-effective ways. Um, called index funds. Um, so, so I would say just to do your diligence there and see what you can find. Thank you. 
I will take one from the text crowd. Would you recommend drawing your Social Security as soon as possible rather than waiting to maximize the amount you can get? I'll start with that one. Um, you can start drawing uh, Social Security at 62. You take a haircut for it. Uh, I'm going to say about 30%. Um, but for some people, and again, you know, these questions are kind of hard because I did uh, an analysis for, uh, for a couple that um, she wanted to uh, take early um, Social Security. And their finances were in such that it was, they kind of needed something. Um, and so this was an option. So what I did is I ran a table up through um, the break-even points because, like I said, you take a, take a little bit of a haircut when you sign up at 62. But you get that. Um, you know, four years early. So you put it down and you say every month I'm getting this amount, this amount, and I'm not drawing anything because I'm not drawing for when I'm fully retired. And then at that point, I start drawing a fully retired, a higher amount, but then you've got to go another level until it evens out. And for this person, the even out period was at 70 years old. So that's when every month after 70 years old, then I don't want to say it was a bad decision, but financially then they start, they're on the negative side of having made that decision. So, you know, it, it really depends on what your monthly needs are. And if that's a source or maybe the only source, then I'm not saying don't do it. I think from an investment perspective, if I could use that term, it's not a good decision. You know, in fact, six, you know, full retirement age, whatever, because it changes, you know, based on when you were born, um, changes. And um, if you can, 8%, Josh, every Seven year nine. that you delay your Social Security, your monthly check will grow by about 8%. That's pretty good. Um, so you, even when you reach full retirement age, you want to look at is that is this is this the year I want to start taking my Social Security, and if you have other sources of income that you want to you know, compare, you know, delay it and it'll grow six percent, eight percent. Just quick add. So <clears throat> I have this conversation a lot, and more or less I try to simplify it and say the worst thing you can do is draw it and don't use it, because I've People all the time like, hey, it's 60, I'm 62, it's time to march down to Social Security office, and then they get their monthly Social Security check, and they have pensions and other types of cash flows to take care of their day-to-day, -day, and their Social Security check just sits in the bank and doesn't earn anything. So I tend to be from a school of don't take it until you need it um, or to maximize it, because like Jerry said, it's 7 or 8%, I think, from 62 until for retirement that that benefit increases annually. So once again, it's kind of like, okay, if I were to tell you, hey, here's an investment that is guaranteed to increase by 8% every year for you for the next four or five years, it's not a bad one. Yeah. You know, so like I said, it's case by case, um, but I would say if you aren't pretty reliant on it, then I'd defer it as long as you can. I think one of the worst uh, reasons to draw it early, I hear quite a bit is, well, I certainly don't want to die and not get anything. <laughs> what a way to think about it. <laughs> right. how, how do you recommend evaluating the strength of your bank? 
Great question. Um, so for me, I, this is what I always tell people, is that you can tell a lot about the strength of a bank by the rates that they pay. Um, typically, your larger banks will pay lower interest rates on their deposit accounts, so your checking, savings accounts, CDs, the rates will typically be lower. And the reason that that is, is because of the, I'll just call it excess cash that that institution carries, where they don't have to incentivize you as a account holder to be able to use your money to write loans, issue credit cards, everything else. So banks are for-profit businesses. They're in business to make money. So from a business owner, why would I pay you as a deposit holder, say 1% on a savings account when I've got droves of cash of my own here that I can use and not have to pay anything to use it to write business. Um, so for me, that is you know probably a major indicator. Not saying that if your bank pays you know better account rates that they're a bad bank. Um, just means that you know more or less they're using they're needing that influx of cash to do something. So anytime you see like hey six month specials and twelve month specials and you're like oh this rate kind of seems a little higher. The bank needs the money, you know, to do some type of project, finance, something. Um, banks are now even required to keep a certain amount on reserve by the government, um, which I think has in turn just lowered just the rate environment on deposits across the board. So um, I would say start there. Um, all of your banks, especially if they're publicly traded, all of their information as far as just from a tax standpoint, and Jerry can speak to this too, as far as just their balance sheet, and the assets they have um, versus their liabilities. So of course you want to have more assets than liabilities. Um, you know, all that's public knowledge, public information. Um, but I would say probably the easiest thing to do is, you know, more or less just look at the rates. But you know, for the most part, I would say most banks are pretty stable just because the government requires them to be so at this particular point. Question from the card section. It says, I have a difficult time tracking my money. I know it's mainly on eating out. I'm with you, whoever wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> the last 20 years of my life, every meal. But I still find that I only have roughly 200 bucks to pay debt. I feel very stuck. Any help? <laughs> well, the first thing I want to say is, you know, that's the discipline, you know. I mean, yep. and again, I think I even put on one of the slides, or at least put in my notes, um, easy to say, hard to do. Yeah. And, um, and I, I still go back to the uh, analogy I made with, uh, with AMZ, that, you know, if you do go to cash uh, on your spending and you've allocated, you know, and, when, and for the most part, you want to allocate some entertainment. You want to, because if you, it's kind of like, well, I shouldn't be talking about diets, but uh, if, if, you want, if you starve yourself in order to, to, to lose weight, eventually you're gonna overeat. Well, if you starve yourself from a, from a, a lifestyle, if you will, then you're just going to end up doubling down when when the discipline stops. Yeah. And I know that sounds a little preachy, 
no deference. Hey. Okay. <laughs> um, but it, it really is a choice. I mean, if you're down to X number of dollars to pay down your debt, this is where you really have to look in, inward to yourself and say, how bad do I really want to? And I will say this, once you start, it will get easier. And, you know, again, love Lois. I mean, she's always, you know, giving me words of wisdom and everything. But, you know, when I was sitting over there after the present, after I did my part, I was paying attention, Josh. Um, she, she, she told me, she said, make sure that you tell people that it wasn't easy. When we put, went on a five-year plan, it wasn't easy. We had to sacrifice some things that we liked to do. You know, but they were um, things that we could do without in order to gain a bigger goal. And so to answer the question, it's like, you, you know, you're 50% there. You already know where the money's going that needs to go be redirected. And I'm not saying 100% of it, but a good portion of it, yes, if you're serious about it. Yeah. Covered it all. <laughs> I will say jokingly, you know, because this person has a trouble eating out like I do, um, but I do have somebody in my life now that can cook, which is a Amen. blessing. But I will say, Jerry, it's it's easier for you because you have Miss Lois cooking for you <laughs> for all these years. So that makes you not want to eat out. It's like I could eat trash eating out or I could eat five-star meals with Miss Lois Daly, okay, sorry. Point taken. Yes. <laughs> but I'm getting on team eating at the house, so I'm, I'm with you there. All right. What is the difference between mutual funds and the stock fund? Which one do you recommend? We are in our 50s. So uh, think of a mutual fund as more or less a basket, okay, give a visual. And pretty much in that basket, your money goes in with a bunch of other investors just like you that want to get in the same basket. So what the money manager does or the portfolio manager is they manage everybody's money the same. Okay? So that is basically the concept of a mutual fund because you're mutually in that fund with other investors. Um, once you start buying in a stock fund, honestly, is a type of mutual fund. Um, anything with a fund is more, more than... Lamest terms, a bucket, just where your money is pulled with other investors. Um, but my assumption is what you're asking, like, hey, what's the difference between that and just individual stock investing? So just to kind of give an example, so some of what I do involves, I, I have choices on where I can say, hey, we can invest in you know, mutual funds, or more or less at higher dollar amounts, I can say, hey, now we have the means to where we can put together a portfolio for you and we can own the actual individual shares, full shares of these companies. To run a mutual fund, a lot of time it's less expensive and the requirements to get in are lower, um, so which makes it easier just for, for most people to start. Um, but once you hit a certain threshold, there are benefits to owning actual individual shares as opposed to mutual funds, but definitely any type of fund like that is a, is a great place to start. But I would ask your advisor, whoever you work with, um, just kind of what fits your individual plan and, and if you're interested in kind of looking outside the general scope of mutual funds, I'm sure they should have some options for you. Uh, there's also a risk factor to yes, that also. Absolutely. So. Um, 
When it comes to risk, so think of, you know, say everybody's heard stocks and bonds, right? Stocks, they grow more over time, but they also move a lot more, right? Bonds are a little more stable, you know, and they move a lot less. Um, common misnomer is that, hey, I can't lose money in, in bonds, which is incorrect. Um, so typically with bonds, bonds and interest rates have, to give you an example of how bonds can lose money, bonds and interest rates have what's called an inverse relationship. So as interest rates go up, prices of bonds typically go down. Um, so seeing that we will probably see some interest rate increases here over the next few months, you know, don't be surprised if your bond portfolio, if you have one, dips a little bit. You know, that's to be expected. Um, that's why it's kind of good to have that growth complement and kind of find that balance is there's a yin and yang there. So, so, but yes, typically your more stock funds are a little more aggressive to where your mutual funds can range anywhere on the spectrum. How do you juggle prioritizing putting money in long-term investments when you're trying to put your money in starting a business? It's a great question. Um, I would say there's, there is a balance. So I'm trying to be careful with how I word this, but more, more or less, I would say that after your tithe, you know, and whatever God puts on your heart to give, I'm a big believer in paying yourself first. Um, now, for a season, if you know you've been led to open that business, then yes, I would say if that's what the Holy Spirit has told you to do, yeah. and you feel at peace about it, you know, by all means, for a season, if that means that hey, you're not putting any money away from yourself to get your, for yourself to get your business off the ground, mm -hmm. that's perfectly okay. Um, you know, because especially if it's a God idea, mm -hmm. you know, then hey, there will come a day when you'll be able to kind of recoup and redeem the time on, on some of that time that was missed getting your business off the ground. So I, don't, I, wouldn't, I would never tell somebody, don't go without investing for yourself to um, not start a business. But I would say if you can do both, great. But if it means you have to sacrifice that for a season, that's perfectly fine. While there's no guarantee, but the assumption is, is if you're opening up a business, you're, you're doing it to generate a profit. Yeah. And, and a profit to the point where you know it replaces your your work environment. Um, so, it, I, you know, I, I don't know if this is proper or not, but, but that's almost an investment in yourself. Um, and so, how badly do you believe in yourself and your business in order to do that? Um, I think would be a critical factor for making that determination. Uh, d delaying uh, a long-term uh, investment relative to retirement and that sort of stuff, again, depending on age and circumstances. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with Josh on that one. I think I would absolutely delay it if your your concept and understanding there, you know, no no guarantees. But if your concept is is that you're you're doing this to you know generate income for your quote unquote career, then it's like go for it. Where should a person keep their three to six month emergency fund? Um, very liquid. Yeah, very liquid. So typically for me, emergency fund, that's money that you can access same day. So typically any type of investment, it's technically liquid, but say if a client calls me and says, hey, I need 10 grand out of my investment account, they can get their 10 grand. It's just going to take a couple days. Um, emergency, sometimes you don't have a couple days. Right. So it's like, hey, I need to write this check today. 
So I would say for that, savings accounts. Um, you know, if there's money markets out there that don't require you to keep it for a certain amount of time, that basically you have access to it, and if it gives you check writing capabilities, then that's also a great option. I think this will be the last question, since we're about two minutes till eight. It says, uh, I started doing uh, Dave Ramsey roughly six months ago. I have a thousand in the emergency fund, and I've started snowballing, but I have 100K in student loan debt and around 15K in recent medical bills. I find it extremely hard to stay motivated paying debt with that much debt. I'm afraid I'm gonna be snowballing for years and I regret not living now. Any advice? Uh, high medical bills, what was the other one? Student loan? Student loan, that was 100K and medical bills that were 15K. Uh, well, again, this is just you know, this is an opinion. <laughs> the medical bills, I would really um, take a hard, hard look at to make sure, first of all, they're accurate. The medical bills are generally very negotiable. Uh, just because they bill you something doesn't mean that it's right. Uh, I, you know, I worked in healthcare finance, folks, <laughs> you know. Um, the, the error rate uh, on medical bills. Now, you know, if it's legit and, you know, it's 50K, you know, you're, gonna, you're just gonna have to work it out with uh, whoever, and I'm, I'm assuming there's gonna be multiple people uh, or uh, physicians, whatever, hospitals. But um, they will work with you, but you, you gotta be present, um, in other words, working with them. You can't ignore them because they get kind of nasty uh, relative to collections and all that kind of stuff. So on that one, the student, you know, I'm far removed from a student loan situation. I keep hearing, I don't know, maybe somebody can tell me, are they still even talking about forgiving student loans? I wouldn't count on it. Okay, 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 <laughs> that's fair. They're talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Talk, yes, I, I don't know how much merit there is. To yeah, um, I think this is funny, um, and I never talk about anybody, if I'm doing anybody's taxes, so any references I make are not about you all. I, I have enough, non-church customers. <laughs> um, it's amazing when I get the uh, tuition um, uh, statement forms that have zeros on them as far as what has been paid in 2021. Um, you know, and I guess it's just because they've been listening to the news and saying, you know, maybe someday this thing will go away. <laughs> you know, um, it would be a low priority, a low priority, you know, and if you get to the point, you know, where you have to pay something and, you know, and again, I, I'm treading a little bit cautiously here. It doesn't have to be a lot. It has to be enough just to make sure that they know that you're making, you know, payments or whatever. It doesn't need to be the whole amount. I will say that. Um, I applaud you for doing the Dave Ramsey thing uh, because that will, that will work. But if you are in the snowball, as you called it, uh, impact, um, you know, Play that out because that should, if you're doing it correctly, free up money uh, for you. Um, but absolutely on medical bills, I would negotiate those. And quick ahead. Um, so I, I would encourage this person and just say, you know, kind of the old adage, you know, hey, what's the best way to eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. Yes, so, you know, start, start where you're at. Um, I will say that 
like you said, I, I've seen it time and time again, especially if you're using the Dave Ramsey method and, and saving that way, that's great. The worst thing I've seen people do is they will save a little bit and then they'll say, okay, hey, I'm gonna take my three grand in savings and throw it at this, you know, large debt, you know, hoping to see some type of progress and sure enough, as soon as they do that, something comes up and now they have no cash to fall back on. Yeah. And now what are they doing? They're putting it on a credit card and it's just restarting the, the cycle. So um, to echo Jerry's point, you know, I would more so say to continue to save, you know, while you're kind of taking bite size um, bits out of that, out of that debt. So I, last thing I would tell you to do is just to say, hey, I'm gonna start just throwing my savings at it um, and then not have a, a cash reserve. It's probably the worst thing you could do. I would say as well, you guys will know my opinion. <laughs> okay, let's just check it. Um, the pastoral side of this, I'll say, you need to be doing the practical things that Jerry and Josh have talked about, and the Dave Ramsey method and the snowball, but never leave out the supernatural and the anointing, factor in the anointing. Like we said this morning, God will bless the work of your hand. He will prosper the work of your hand. So if you're trying with all your might yep. to pay this debt off, keep the supernatural involved in it. Yes. And, hey, at any time, God could just supernaturally help wipe that out. It's happened to a lot of people yes. supernaturally. So do your side. I'm not saying don't do your side. Do your side. And when you put your hand to the plow and you work, then God will bless the work of your hand. So just always factor in the anointing. Yeah that uh, supernatural things can happen while you're doing your part, but you've got to do your part. So everybody good? I know there's more questions, but we're going to have Jerry and Josh hang around for a little bit because it's 8 o'clock, and they'll be here for a little bit. Let's be respectful of their time, but I know there's several people that had questions that didn't get them answered, so you can come up and talk to these guys. So let's pray, and we'll dismiss. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this time that we've had to talk about finances at our church. We thank you we've learned a lot. And we're not going to just be hearers, but we're going to be doers of the word that we heard tonight. We, we pray a special blessing on Josh and Jerry for them sharing with us today. And we thank you for this time afterwards to have our questions answered even more. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.